0: From the McCourty Institute for Democracy on the campus of Penn State University, I'm Michael Berkman.
1: And I'm Jenna Spinelli, and welcome to Democracy Works.
0: Uh, Jenna, Chris today is in an undisclosed location.
1: Yeah, that's right. So we, we left him left him behind today. As we are going to talk about the Mood of the Nation poll. Uh, and to do that today, we are joined by uh, Eric Pletzer, uh, Professor of Political Science at Penn State and the Director of the Mood of the Nation poll. Uh, thanks for joining us, Eric. Welcome to the show.
2: It's my pleasure.
1: Uh, so we, as as listeners of our podcast know, we always end every episode with our four Mood of the Nation poll questions. They are forever burned into my my brain asking people uh, what makes them angry proud worried and hopeful um, but we have not spent a lot of time talking about the larger uh, mood of the nation poll itself and so we thought this would be a good opportunity today to uh, revisit some of the the answers that we've heard from our guests over the past season or two and also to talk about how those responses tie in to uh, what you're hearing from the the poll participants so to, to kick us off Eric why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what the poll is and how it got started.
2: Sure, Jenna. Um, first of all, each poll, uh, which we run three or four times a year, is a scientific poll of about 1,000 Americans. Uh, like other scientific polls that you might see in the mass media, it is nationally representative and um, uh, broadly represents uh, all the different types of Americans uh, whose voice we want to hear. And Unlike any other poll, half of our questions are open-ended. This allows American citizens to tell us what's on their mind rather than us as pollsters uh, deciding what's important to everyday American citizens. By being open-ended, we are always surprised by the number of uh, citizens who home in on the same events that uh, aroused uh, the same emotion in them.
1: I think that's a good uh, segue to to dive into some of these questions uh, we're going to follow the same order that we always ask them on the show so we're going to look first at anger and uh, up first for that we have uh, dr. Rebecca Kreitzer from the University of North Carolina who um, talked a lot on, in her episode about uh, women in politics so let's go to uh, Rebecca Kreitzer's response on anger the lack of true communication between people and so when i think back um today there's we often see that people bicker and they just filter everything through partisanship and we don't see a lot of true um open discourse just over the weekend i was re-watching when fred rogers was testifying before a senate committee it's amazing you should put a link to that mm-hmm. on there too and in it at the beginning of the clip they um the senator was I, you know, pretty clearly not interested in funding PBS. And actually, I don't know if it was PBS at the time, but whoever was uh, providing money for Fred Rogers' show. And it was, it was amazing because in the course of the short conversation, you saw the legislator really be open-minded and ask questions. And you saw the very polite discourse in both ways. I would like to see more open and polite discourse. So uh, what do you guys make of, of uh, Rebecca's take on anger?
2: Um, I mean, Rebecca hits on uh, an important theme that Americans are well aware of, and that is that there is a a hostility in uh, interactions um, among partisans. Um, And in nearly every poll, uh, between 10 and 20 percent of our respondents tell us that they are angry because they see politics as broken or rigged or because of some skepticism or suspicion of politicians. Uh, but many Americans uh, tell us that they are tired of um, exactly the way that hearing started, that Rebecca describes, uh, with hostility, um, inability to listen, bickering, and so on. And,
0: and that runs across both parties, doesn't it? Because often the anger responses, for all the responses, we often see a, a partisan divide between the responses. But mm-hmm. people. Are, People, Democrats and Republicans are, are angry about the level of bickering and partisanship and conflict.
2: Yes, that is, that is one of the, the rare instances where Democrats and Republicans are um, in agreement and, and see things in a very similar way.
1: I think our, our next response here on anger from uh, Brad Vivian uh, here at, at Penn State um, speaks to the, the notion of Confederate monuments, um, which is certainly a, another topic that you've, you've, I'm sure, seen come up in the poll. So let's let's go to um, Brad's take on anger as it as it relates to um, Confederate monuments.
3: So, um my wife could really give you the hidden transcript on this from what I say at home, but um, the uh, there's a connection point here. When Richard Spencer began the, the events of the Unite the Right rally, he led the Tiki Torched um, uh, Band onto the grounds of UVA, and they surrounded the Jefferson statue and shouting, you will not replace us, and things like that. Um, he's a graduate of UVA, so... The symbolism of the university there I think is part and parcel of something happening more broadly. There are ways of talking about young people, particularly university students, that are disturbing to me and, and do make me angry. There's a whole vocabulary that's, that's been generated. Um, and it's it's not coincidental, I don't think, to the events of Unite the Right in recent Nationalist populist uh, political movements in this country, uh, which is calling certain constituencies weak and not deserving of empathy. So um, that does make me angry. That seems like, to put it in general terms, a really unproductive place to be uh, in 21st century society.
1: As we we heard from Brad, there um, you know this is something that you know, kind of the the dialogue or perhaps lack thereof around uh, s- some of these these statues and and how these conversations are framed is something that makes him angry. How does that compare with with what you've heard from from the poll in that regard?
2: Well, almost every poll uh, has folks who think a lot like Brad that they are angry at the intolerance that they see in. Uh, American politics, uh, but we also see evidence of exactly the same phenomenon that Brad uh, describes. That is, uh, people are quick to judge um, groups other than their own in terms of their their motives. Um, uh, people are often dismissive. They may be dismissive of of young protesters. Uh, they may be dismissive of others across the aisle who they presume to. Have, have certain views that they might be racist or intolerant, um, and make sweeping generalizations. So we see uh, sort of both sides of Brad's observation in our data, poll after poll.
0: Yeah. I, I also hear in Brad's response uh, something about how young people are being represented by, by others. And uh, young people do come up in our polls a lot. And uh, for many uh Democrats in particular, they uh, will often talk about them as a source of hope and pride because of uh, their activism after parkland. I'm sure we'll get to that in some some of our later ones
1: mm-hmm. well let's uh shift from anger here into pride um, so we we've heard um uh, you know several different themes on on this as well. Um, But one one thing that I I know is is a similarity uh, between what we heard on the podcast and what you've seen in the poll is kind of the the durability of democracy and the institutions that comprise it. So we're going to hear um, a little bit of that here from Forrest Briscoe, who is a professor in the Smeal College of Business here at Penn State. So let's hear his take on what makes him proud.
2: Especially now in this moment, um, the durability of our democracy. Is And the idea that nobody, that it's a system in which nobody can accumulate and hold the most fundamental power for too long. You know, I hope we stick with that because it makes me proud. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. What do you guys make of of Forrest's uh, take? What have you seen um, about the the durability of of democracy Um. coming through from citizens?
2: Well, this is one of the questions that does stump a lot of our respondents. And in most polls, nearly 4 in 10 uh, of our respondents can't think of anything off the cuff uh, that has made them proud. Which and, which and none of our guests have ever said that nothing <laughs> that's makes right. them right, proud. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but among those that do, um, this idea of fundamental and enduring American values is time and time again the number one topic. Yep. Uh, that our um, uh, respondents, uh, you know, almost you know can give a civics lesson. Uh, they're very articulate and they are passionate about uh, freedom of speech, um, free and, and fair elections, the peaceful transition of power. And um, in uh, times when individual politicians let them down, I think people find pride in these m- more enduring and general values sure. uh, that they can point to.
1: Right. So, uh, Eric, you mentioned the idea of the uh, poll respondents giving a civics lesson, and that actually ties into mm. our next response uh, on Pride from David From This man really needs no introduction, I don't think. Uh, he spoke I thought, very, very articulately about um, this, this notion of, of civic engagement and why that makes him proud
3: there are many things to, to, uh, to make me proud. And one of the, um, that, that's, it's important to keep keep hope alive. Um, one of the things that I have been amazed by is the willingness of people to step up, to read. I mean, that's, maybe that's in my narrow area. I, I encounter the lot rising level of civic engagement just through the intensity. And people, I don't just feel that people are reading more, and I experience this. People are reading my work more, but they're also reading it in a much more engaged way. Um, that if I were writing something in, 2006, uh, they would say, well, I I saw your article. Um, And they would have seen the byline and the headline, but they would have a very hazy recollection, if at all, of what was in it. Maybe they were just being polite. Uh, Today, people really seem to engage with work, and uh, they care. It's important to them, and that's, that's very exciting.
1: Okay, so um, you know we we heard from from David firsthand. I, I think he would know, as as a, a staff writer at the Atlantic, he certainly has a, a unique perspective on you know increase in in reading and and people wanting to, to be informed. Um, what what has what does the poll told us about how people feel um, about the media and and about kind of their sense of, of being informed or, or needing to be informed?
2: Well, I think the 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 media is. Probably the single most polarizing stimulus out there uh, at the moment. Uh, that was true in our polls leading up to the 2016 election, and it continues to be true as where you stand on the media, pro or con, is basically a membership test for the two political parties right now. Um, that uh, notwithstanding, I think... Uh, David's observation that people are reading more and questioning more is something you might expect in a period that's very turbulent. One of the things we know um, from political science is that when people are nervous, uh, they're worried about the future, they tend to reconsider some of the things they've assumed uh, about politics, about their political party, about where they stand. And for many citizens, that leads them to search for information, to try to re-find themselves. If they found themselves as a young voter, uh, they might reconsider where they stand <clears throat> and their supports for, support for the parties. And anxiety can do that. Anxiety can move people to... Uh, search information, try new, new sources. <laughs> and so while we don't have any direct evidence on that, I, th- I think David's observation is really consistent with the high levels of, of concern mm-hmm. that our respondents tell us about.
1: So let's move on here to worry um, kind of, you know, I think when we ask these on the show, people are, are feeling good after after pride. And then we bring them right back down again to worry. So um, we're going to hear uh, first here from uh, Robert Asin from the uh, University of Wisconsin. He joined us for an episode on school boards, which I know is a subject very near and dear to, to both of your hearts. But um, he he worries that we take democracy for granted. So let's hear him talk about that.
0: I worry that we take democracy for granted. I worry that um, there are aspects of our lives um, that, um, that are part of this uh, democratic culture um, and we don't think about them that way. Um, and so that um, maybe we don't value them enough and maybe we don't cultivate them enough. Um, and if we don't value and cultivate democracy, there's nothing that guarantees that we'll continue to have it or enjoy it in the way that we have.
1: Okay. So, uh, what what have you heard from the poll? Do do uh, citizens agree with Dr. Asen that democracy is being taken for granted?
2: Uh, actually, very few citizens articulate it mm-hmm. in in quite that way. I think they have a visceral reaction to uh, <clears throat> democratic institutions. Um, they sometimes will think about groups in society that they don't think are living up to their democratic ideals, uh, that these groups, um, you know, want too much from government or they're too lazy or they're um, not active enough um, speaking on their own behalf. Uh, but uh, Professor Azen is much more articulate and, and taking a sort of bird's eye view of the situation in, in a way that uh, most of our respondents uh, didn't. Um, but I think we see that there's a little bit of both. We, we see uh, some citizens that are simply disengaged, um, that politics is not pleasant. Uh, they want to maybe crawl under a rock when they've seen too much uh, uh, news on, on the media or social media. Um, And others who are are very articulate, obviously knowledgeable, uh, passionate about the positions that they hold. And so we see kind of a mixed bag.
1: The other uh, response for on, on worry that we have here is from uh, Lara Putnam at the the uh, University of Pittsburgh. Um, we talked with her about um, some work that she's done with uh, Theta Scotchpole about um, kind of a, a re engagement in in organizing grassroots organizing, and uh, you know Lara touched on that. I'm um, a little bit in in her response, just in terms of she she feels that um, there are. The kind of narrative has has changed, and it's it's harder. There's there's kind of a disconnect between um, what what you hear on the news and what you actually hear when you talk to someone face to face. So let's let's hear Lara's take on that.
4: What makes me worried that microphones are all in the wrong hands. The megaphones are all in the wrong hands. The the incentives within the media are to play up a narrative of disunion and radicalism, and to take uh, on all sides and sort of amplify um, the, the scariest and most, um, exclusionary, you know, statements. Uh, and that's not what I see when I get out and actually have conversations. You know, these days I, I actually do like door to door canvas. I'm an activist as an organizer as well as studying these movements. And I feel like when I go out and do door to door canvassing, that's like the, the time I get away from politics is when I'm doing door to door canvassing and having conversations with real voters about candidates that the kinds of conversations that you have can are always interesting and thoughtful and people are complicated. And then if I go home and you know, look at the news or look at Twitter, the caricature that I see of Americans political beliefs makes me worry.
1: Uh, so um, what what do people in in the poll say about this this disconnect between the media or or does this this type of thing come up I know you said the the media is is often mentioned in the poll but do do people make that connection between what they see on the news and what they they talk about with their their neighbors or friends or colleagues
2: I think a lot of our respondents um, are actually simultaneously, yearning for a solution and yet inadvertently getting caught up in the problem. Uh, I think a lot of our uh, respondents are concerned about the incivility that they see um, in the the news and in social media. And yet with the anonymity that comes from an online poll, um, we see some pretty spicy answers from those exact same individuals. Um, and I think one of the things that Lara highlights is that uh, people are much more civil when it's face-to-face, that the when she's going door-to-door and canvassing, um, there is a, uh, a courtesy and politeness um, that might disappear from those same individuals. And it may not be that it, there's as much of a disconnect as she thinks. It may be that those very same individuals are the ones that contribute to um, you know, very aggressive uh, exchanges on the comments section of uh, our newspapers, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe making the types of comments that cause you know their high school buddies to defriend them. Oh, and sure. And so. Um, um, I'm, I'm not sure I see the, the, the same divide. I think you know, the, the, the division between the media and ordinary citizens is maybe artificial in this current age, that the media are the citizens, and the citizens are just interacting with different degrees of, of, of mediation between themselves and others.
1: Uh, so finally, um, we always try to end on an upbeat note with uh, what gives you hope. And this one I can say uh, pretty much across the board, people are hopeful about the kids. So let's let's close it out here. Um, we're going to hear two responses on hope, uh, one from uh, Sophia McLennan, um, who is yeah. a professor of um comparative literature and international studies here at Penn State. And then we'll, we'll close it out with uh, Michael Mann, who is a professor of uh, climate science and, and a leading voice in the, the climate change movement.
4: I think I, I have uh, such a privilege being a professor, right? My students give me hope. I am all the time. That is the one thing that makes it possible to keep fighting for things that I think that matter because, um, You know, I have now two teenage kids, and they're amazing. But my students um, at the university are awesome, you know, and and the narrative about them is often very negative. But I really think once these kids grow up and take over, we're going to be way better off.
0: What gives me hope once again are the youth of this country. And I'll tell you, uh, isn't many, you know, kids are not in a position... To directly impact policy, but they are in a position to directly impact the adults in their life, and there is such a huge opportunity for us to learn from our children em- 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 empathically um, and 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 that's really why it is so important to engage our children. This is a problem that they are likely to inherit the worst sort of uh, the worst aspects of if, if, if we don't act now.
1: I think you guys have seen, uh, maybe in your, your most recent poll, that the kids themselves maybe aren't as hopeful as everyone else is is about them. Is that is that right?
2: Um, I think that the, the kids are, uh, the, the younger respondents in our poll are, on average, uh, actually less engaged. And we see examples of engaged young people in the news all the time. <clears throat> Um, but they're not necessarily typical. And um, what's what's interesting is that a lot of our older respondents do mention younger voters as giving them hope. A lot of younger voters uh, place their hope in um, social movements or elections. And ev- nobody says, you know, I put my hope in myself. Right, right. <clears throat> um, It's um, either people are placing their hope in others, um, whether it's a charismatic person like Donald Trump, um, for many of our respondents, that's where they place their hope, or in particular movements or in uh, the process of elections and engagement, uh, they place their hope in others... And to some extent, they hope to coordinate with those others. But it, it's it's sort of an external answer that nobody is mentioning themselves. Everybody is mentioning someone else to uh, that, that, that's going to, to make things better.
1: So to close, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you guys these Ooh, four right. questions, right? So uh, Eric and mm-hmm. Michael, thinking about American politics, what makes you angry?
2: Um I think what makes me angry is what makes a lot of Americans angry, that is uh, the uh, the tendency for people to react quickly and instinctively when they uh, get political messages uh, without processing that and um, uh, trying to understand um, that the person who's purveying the message uh, may have some some good motivations that uh, you might share.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree with that. <laughs> right. But I would also say that the uh, the vilification of groups of people in our in our politics today uh, makes me
2: angry.
1: Uh, what makes you proud? Uh,
2: I, mean, I, I am very proud of uh, the members of the journalistic profession uh, under tremendous pressure in in certain uh, parts of the country. Um, You know, being vilified and and yelled at um, and the way that uh, the press is being treated at at some campaign events actually reminds me of the gauntlet that uh, uh, students at desegregating Southern schools had to walk through in the 1950s and and 1960s. Uh, Journalists all over uh, the world um, are... uh, Risking their lives to report, and uh, so their their courage and integrity uh, gives me a lot of pride uh,
0: Yes, I certainly share that, and among the groups that I hate seeing vilified are, are, are journalists, I also have a lot of pride in the uh, in, in the many people behind democracy works because I think we're they're trying to do good work here. I'm not talking about myself, I mean people at WPSU people at the McCourtney Institute and uh, and my colleagues on the show.
1: What makes you worry
2: um, I worry that we're in an age where uh, even people with some wisdom really don't know how to navigate uh, these, uh, these new conditions, uh, that uh, efforts to improve things you know, uh, seem to backfire in some ways, uh, that uh, we're uh, moving into an era where information is not as trustworthy as it used to seem. And we're going to have to muddle our way through to figure out uh, new ways to make democracy work.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: The more I read about social media and mm-hmm. cyber warfare, the more worried mm-hmm. I become about the, uh, about the whole information environment and stream and the way that... Uh, that um, foreign powers are able to uh, take advantage of divisions within our society and accentuate them and exaggerate them. And, uh, and I think that's a very dangerous path that we haven't really figured out how to take care of, how to address.
1: Right. And then finally, what gives you hope? And that bonus point if you don't say the kids.
2: Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what gives me hope is uh, what uh, Barack Obama calls the long arc of history. Uh, that in spite of all of uh, uh, the bad news, that conditions for uh, most people in the United States are actually better than they were 20 or 30 or 100 years ago, that um, even though we we see terrible conditions in certain parts of the world, in most parts of the world, um, life is actually better than it was um, a century ago. And so we need to, you know, not lose the forest from the trees, uh, that in, in spite of these efforts, uh, we can overcome them and continue to make lives better. Sorry, I
0: can't do it. <laughs> but I'm not going to say that my hope is in the Parkland kids and the protesting. But uh, I spend my days in college classrooms. And like Sophia, I am uh, impressed with this generation. Uh, and I, uh, they're on their phones too much. But I think they're, they're in their own way quite engaged and working quite hard and uh, extremely uh, accepting and uh, tolerant. Uh, and I think that, uh, that, that, that speaks to Eric's point about where we're going.
1: All right. So we will, we will leave it there. Eric, thank you for joining us today to, to take a trip through the Moon of the Nation poll.
2: It's been my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Yes. uh, Thank you, Eric. And uh, from the McCourtney Institute for Democracy, uh, this has been a bonus episode of uh, Democracy Works. Uh, Thank you, Jenna. Thank you, Eric. Uh, uh, And uh, I'm Michael Berkman.
1: And I'm Jenna Spinelli. Thanks for listening.